Genre. to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man one logo-filled minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. <laughs> and I'm Zach Luna. And today we are talking about minute one, uh, starting at the beginning of the movie. Here we go. Oh, boy. <laughs> one of uh, how many? One of uh, 122? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A solid hour and a half of picture to get through, which is going to be um, dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes. Where it's Yeah. Woof. We're getting on the train. Um, All right. <laughs> so uh, minute one begins with the Columbia logo and the opening notes of Danny Elfman's Spider-Man theme mm-hmm. and ends with the lo- with the, the credit for starring Toby Maguire. It's kind which, of great. Yeah. It's like a, it's its own little like. like yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't see starring anymore. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an old school Hollywood thing, right? Yeah, where it feels that that almost um, how the tone of the film has that slightly. Um, I mean, it's, of course, it takes place in modern day or what was modern day New York at the time, but it also has to feel a bit like the 1960s, a little bit like it's it's kind of got a throwback mm-hmm. to the whole legacy of the comics, not just, uh, you know, whatever 2000, 2001 was like. Um, right. So th- it's, it's almost nice to go back to an old school like starring our guy here he is you know here's his name on a charlotte's web looking uh right (laughs) well and i and i almost i almost wonder too because you know as i'm sure you'll talk about later in the week Mm -hmm. like columbia and sony like they were not sold on toby Maguire being the lead of this movie because they were like who yeah that kid that that kid from pleasantville like what cider house rules what is that no yeah right (laughs) so so they weren't sold on it so i almost wonder if it's almost sort of them like after raimi sold them on toby Maguire, if this is them being like i like almost like double downing on it you know like (laughs) being like like yeah not only not only uh like we're so confident we're gonna say this is starring toby Maguire, right yes in case you don't know who this is well he's the star of this movie i assure you he's a household name we've right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's like it's like uh uh tautology or whatever like you all know toby Maguire, the star of this picture he's a star okay right yes i do that's (laughs) that's <laughs> thank you columbia and sony i appreciate it um but yeah so, so the yeah, go for the, it. so the columbia logo um here is uh-huh. uh it's it's interesting because um it is the logo that so okay so this logo was originally painted in 92 and it ran oh, wow. as their as their opening uh opening logo shot from 92 to 98 mm. now you might be saying to yourself 
98, but this came out in 2002. Right. Yeah. Well, I am saying uh, that, Scott, right now. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, what happened was um, the original logo that this is uh, did run from 92 to 98. The model is named Jenny Joseph. Uh, the guy who painted it was just a friend of hers, and she came in on her lunch break, and he wow. threw some sheets around her, and she held up a desk lamp, and uh, and and yeah, and just and he like took some pictures, and then he painted it based on those pictures of her. That's amazing. Uh, um, and what happened was after '98, uh, Columbia liked the logo, but they needed to update it a little bit, so they actually remade the painting digitally and then sort of animated it. Whoa. Which is why this is like slightly animated. Yeah. It's still yeah. We based have like on, a camera move involved in the actual. Right. Yeah. Right. It's still based on that same painting from 92, uh-huh. but it's been, it's been sort of like remade, uh, digitized and animated. Um, wow. and now, you know, this is still the logo that they use today. They sure. haven't changed. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely right. amazing. Um, the other addition to the logo is the bit at the bottom where it says a Sony company. <laughs> 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 that's that's new as of like this this re-digitized right, version. Right, version um, of it. That's that's the new one. Because they used to, you know, the movie studios used to pretend that they weren't all in bed with each other. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um and now and now they're just like, no, we're a conglomerate. No, we don't straight care. Up, yeah. This is yeah. owned by the Shinehart Wig Company. So this right? just, <laughs> yeah. just roll with it, guys. Um I love exactly. it. Uh and then so right after that, of course, we get our um our first view of something that is that is particularly special, I think. Uh the flipbook Marvel logo, um, which we now mostly associate with the idea of Marvel Studios themselves, the sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe and Right. To be very clear, although they, front, although they yeah. recently changed it, yeah, they did. It was like just last year. Um, they wanted to make they have it like a whole fanfare and yeah, everything. they've got yeah. they wrote some new music for it, and it's a bit longer because the idea was that for quite a while, when they first came up with this Marvel logo that would run with um, feature films, they had to have a sort of time crunch on it because they the assumption was that they would play the Marvel logo alongside the. Columbia Pictures logo or the Fox Searchlight logo or whoever right. else was, you know, the actual people footing the bills to make the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was the sort of the the brain decision behind this first one. Uh, whereas now, since Marvel Studios uh, with Disney is their own standalone company almost, uh, that, no, we just will we'll take more time and we'll sort of dwell in that transition from where you were through the comic books to to us now. And so this... This logo that we have here, this uh, f- immediately iconic flipbook thing, I, I double checked this because I wasn't 100% sure, but this movie right now is the first instance of it. Uh, I mean, oh, there, it wasn't yeah. on it wasn't on X Men. It was not on X Men, and it was not on Blade. It was not on things like that. They, those films huh. just have a static uh, Marvel logo on that, and so this Interesting. moving, yeah, this sort of flipbook image where you can hear the the pages going by and see all of the little um, panels. Uh, melding into each other before the logo comes up. That was specifically designed for Spider-Man. This movie, this movie mm-hmm. right now, uh, as sort of the like the this sort of bold statement of like, yeah, we're gonna make movies now. We're gonna, right. you know, the, we're we're gonna use our big characters and make 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 these films. And so uh, the um, 
the company that that worked on that, the uh, the designer is Kyle Kyle Cooper, who is this um, person. We'll talk about a little bit more uh, later in the week. Who is like one of the it guys in title design, and he, this is um, his uh, first company, uh, Imaginary Forces, which he uh, founded with Peter Frankfurt. Uh, but they are known for a ton of stuff. Uh, you know, like these days they do the um, the Stranger Things and Mad Men and Jessica Jones and whatnot. Oh, but wow! At, at that time, uh, where where it was just. Uh, Kyle Cooper working on this they with Sony had had hired them to new, do not just the title sequence here, but to work with them on the marketing for the film. So um, earlier, if you guys listened to our first couple introductory episodes, um, we talked a little bit about the, um, the sort of mystifying steely typeface um, mm-hmm. Spider-Man logo that comes up in the early trailers and whatnot. And that that was that they, it was the same company working on those uh, promotional uh, designs as the title design itself. So they were done at the same time. Um, but, uh, but this Marvel logo was part of that. Like uh, as they were going along, like, Oh yeah, we need to have this Marvel logo. And Kyle Cooper has this, this phrase he talks about uh, this thing that Eisenstein used to do. Well, I mean, not that he used to do just a, a term that he had about finding, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it obviously, because I didn't read uh, Sergei Eisenstein all that well, but he talked about <laughs> the, um, Fragment of reality, a, a, an immutable fragment of actual reality that if you break down something and we're not talking what I mean, he would have been talking about montage at the time. But what what Kyle Cooper means is I want to distill down an image that has meaning in and of itself, this fragment of reality that you immediately feel something from it, even if it's not tied to the narrative, even if it's not whatever. So for for Marvel, their sort of pitch here was we want to connect the idea of the readership to the, the film itself. And he's like the, we're going from static images to moving images. Why not a flip book? It's, it's something where you, you can immediately, there's this tangible, like uh, lived in reality to it, the sound mixed with the, the, the image um, and sort of that transferring idea of on film, obviously that you have, 24 frames a second, which are static images that become movement and alive. And so he, he thought that like that metaphor was concrete enough that they didn't need anything else. So they, hmm. they, they talk about this idea that they had at um, imaginary forces uh, that they like to do something with a clear uh, idea with absolute rigor. And so the Marvel logo is kind of an example of that. It's a very, very simple idea, but it, immediately uh works it it doesn't it doesn't have you know there's not a lot going on there other than yeah comic books Mm -hmm. moving to moving pictures now here's a movie boom what's interesting about this particular version of the flipbook logo Mm -hmm. is that this is the generic flipbook this is before they started making them uh character themed yeah it's just because, Marvel because in general. later, yeah. I don't know which movie they started doing it with. I don't know if it was Iron Man uh-huh. or if it was before that. Yeah, I don't know uh, either. But uh, but uh, but eventually they got to a point where the 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 comics that they're flipping through are character specific. Where like yeah. Iron Man opens with the flipbook logo, but it's all Iron Man fo- like pictures yeah, from the Iron panels Man comics. from original. Yeah, yeah, specific to the character that we're going to see the right. movie of. Whereas this one is just I, like. It's oh, just generic, it's just like superhero, you know, wham, bam. You see some like uh, mm-hmm. shoulders and things like that. There's no, it's not traceable to any one particular image. It's just the idea of 
comic right. book superhero characters. Yeah, and I don't know black. if that changed with Spider-Man 2 or if it wasn't until Amazing Spider-Man that that changed. Because I, I do specifically mm-hmm. remember a Marvel flipbook logo with Spider-Man images in yes, it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I just don't remember which one that happened in and 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 I would look it up, but that's like it feels like cheating, like yeah. I'm looking ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I don't wanna like, I don't wanna do that. One of these uh, days we're just gonna see it and then we'll talk about it immediately after. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about Laura Ziskin because yeah. I I I was interested in who she was because I'd always associated her name with the Spider-Man movies. Me too. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really she, know yeah, specifics right. of it until researching for this. <laughs> right, right, right. And and she actually she actually died of breast cancer in 2011. Oh no. Uh, which yeah. is really unfortunate because um, I mean, as a producer, it, 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 she's she's an interesting uh, producer because she has, she doesn't actually have a lot of major credits, like not yeah. really. Yeah. Um, she has like a handful of credits in the eighties, and then she her first big hit was Pretty Woman in nineteen ninety. Wow. Um, and then after that, she did What About Bob. Uh, which I'm not sure how big of a hit that is, but yeah, I, I remember the yeah. movie. <laughs> I remember yeah. it has that like Gremlins poster, uh, where <laughs> like where somebody's strangling someone else and like in, oh, the, right. in the shadow behind them. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, the exact yeah. Same and they're look. really just they're just like handshaking. Yeah. yeah, it's the exact same look as the Gremlins poster where you have Gizmo, and then behind him is the shadow of the uh, you know the the the, the Mogwai creature, right. the actual Gremlin yeah. creature. There's something so weird about to me that like. What about Bob only registers my brain as like, oh, yeah, the one with the Gremlins poster. Got it. Sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, and then she went on and in 97, she produced As Good As It Gets, which was another really big one. Huge hit. Yeah. And then after that, um, it's basically Spider-Man, like Spider-Man, wow. Spider-Man 2, Stealth, Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man and The Butler. Wow. And then, and then, uh, two Academy Award presentations. So, like the seventy fourth and the seventy ninth Academy Awards on television, she produced produced it. Wow. Um, wow. I, I I find that really interesting. Like, yeah, like about about uh, a third or like twenty five percent of her total credits are Spider Man. Yeah, and she and she's hugely influ- influential in. Um, I, I know we've both been double checking things on the. Um, that Mark Cotavaz book that they had uh, when the film came out, that like behind the scenes look where Ziskin is like one of the most vocal producers throughout all of the behind the scenes stuff on this, on this thing that mm-hmm. she was just like a driving influence on it. Yeah. And, and honestly, I would argue that in a, in a lot of ways, because what you find as we go along with these Spider-Man movies is that there is a battle going on mm-hmm. behind the scenes for control of these movies between yeah. Ziskin, uh-huh. who is on Sam's side, right. Sam Raimi, yeah, um, and uh, Avi. I'm gonna look up how to actually pronounce his name, but it's mm-hmm. it's either Avi a- a- or Avi. Avi sounds feels right, but yeah, we'll check. Uh, right, we'll we'll double check, but uh-huh. um, because uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you just see it written all the time, and then you're like, uh, you you try to say it out loud, and you realize that you don't actually know how to pronounce <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly, it's like one of those things. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But uh, Avi Arad, like he, uh, 
like the power of these movies getting big. And he was the uh, chief creative officer of uh, what was at the time Marvel. What is the credit the, in the minute? Uh, ba, 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 ba. Marvel Enterprises. And Marvel or something Enterprises. Like yeah. I yeah. Think. Of Marvel Enterprises. And uh, he's, it started going to his head a little bit and he started having like, like really like fighting for creative control of things. Um, and, uh, uh, she died before amazing Spider-Man two happened. And I wonder if the tonal shift between the first and second amazing Spider-Man was (laughs) the, was primarily because of the loss of Of that other creative voice. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. No, I've, I've, she was always the one going to bat for the filmmakers. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And for the sort of the, not, not thinking of it in terms of franchise, this franchise, that, but in terms of like, how, what is the character? What is the story? How do we, um, uh, how do we go to bat for that? I mean, I guess I, I'm, I've been focusing, I guess we should say at some point in, uh, our, our actual discussion here that, uh, our own, creative work that we do outside of the podcast is I, we both work in uh, filmmaking, um, but Scott is much more of a, a writer and director person. And I work in um, production doing costumes, but I also work as an actor and a voice actor mm-hmm. and m- more of my uh, research for this podcast. And just in general has been on th- the side of casting and uh, production design and things like that. But casting specifically, there's so many, moments of uh, what seems like the the dangerous choice or we, we weren't sure if the studio really wanted to go this way and Ziskin being a person who was like a champion for that um that underdog uh actor person and so like as an actor that's like one of the things that you dream of <laughs> it's like right a producer who's there fighting fighting your battles for you because you don't you don't end up in any project without somebody who's fairly high up really being an advocate for you really sort of uh, gunning right. for you because there's a, there's always a million reasons not to have you and a million right. reasons that somebody else is a safer choice or is more palatable right. to X, Y, Z. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it, you know, Tony McGuire was nobody before this. Like yeah. you forget that, but he really wasn't anybody before yeah. Spider-Man. And, and it was, it was very much sort of a, a Chris Pratt and Guardians situation where it's like right. Chris Pratt had no business being cast in that movie. No, it's crazy, but, but it's, it's amazing. It's, it's insane because he, he was like a schlubby guy on a on a NBC sitcom. Right. And he was like on one of those like CWE One Tree Hill type shows a right. little bit before that. Right. And it's like, what? How does how does that even happen? That the reason those things happen is people really gunning for that decision because they know it's the right person for the role and then like right. obviously r- after guardians oh chris pratt he's one of the biggest stars in the world of course you know oh toby mcguire he's a huge star he's spider-man that marquee uh sort of discussion that we were having a minute ago is um it's it's proof proof positive right after that that you f- you forget immediately that oh no this that wasn't a safe choice right in general you know? Right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I mean, Toby Maguire, you know, God love him. And we'll, we'll talk about him as we mm-hmm. go along, but mm-hmm. like the guy is not exactly a heartthrob no. kind of guy. Yeah. Like he's a very like baby faced sort of like normal looking dude, he's you like know? An awkward. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I mean, he's Hollywood awkward, of course. Like we're, we're of course by no means saying that he is not a handsome young man, a hundred percent, but he is, 
far more uh, off kilter and strange and awkward and uncomfortable than the people that they would normally say like, oh yeah, let's helm a franchise mm-hmm. with that person. You know, let's right. put a, a pretty face on those posters to sell whatever. Um, right. But you can put the Spidey mask on the poster. So why not? Like, why? Right. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> why not? Why not go for the more interesting choice? Um, right. It was great. But yeah, thanks. Thanks, Laura Ziskin. I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about her a lot more in the upcoming weeks. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other thing in these early credits episodes that I want to talk about mm. is sort of the road that brought us here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, because there was a long road to getting Spider-Man on the screen. And uh, I want to talk about a few of the early um, Spider-Man movies that were almost made and weren't thankfully made <laughs> um okay sure yeah uh, so so i'm going to talk about a few today a few tomorrow uh-huh. and then i'm going to talk about sort of like the the run up to the to this movie finally getting greenlit totally. know, on wednesday love it um but uh the first time that it was because okay so one of the things that everyone needs to understand is that stan lee loved Hollywood, <laughs> loved the movie business, totally. and wanted nothing more than to be a part of it. Really? I love yes. that. Ah. And so um, by the 70s, he was already writing way less comics and was more out. He was like, had a little office out in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and he was just going to meeting after meeting after meeting, trying to sell Marvel characters to studios to make movies but yeah. the problem is that a character like spider-man i mean i it's nearly impossible to make anything with spider-man i mean yeah. he had a little bit of luck on television because he had the spider-man tv show that lasted about a season sure and then he had of course the incredible hulk which lasted a while yeah um yeah. and then all the tv movies that happened after that with like daredevil and the and uh thor and right everything yeah um and then that doctor strange tv movie that happened Sure, that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, yep. That's I a thing that exists. Didn't know that. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh so oh, it's it's it is glorious if you ever have a chance to see it. Um it is the weirdest 70s bananas thing. Uh it's God, it's it. pretty great. But uh the first time that he sold the rights to Spider-Man was to uh a producer um hmm. named Steve Lemberg. Uh, he was a Broadway producer and his thought was that, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's make Spider-Man a, he described it as like a, uh, let's see here. I, I want to get his exact wording, but yeah, it's like, it. um, like a, a fantasy, where, where is it? Oh man, I lost the I lost the quote. Okay, well, he wanted to make a musical. <laughs> yes, wow, uh, a, a, as a film. Yeah, 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 um, a musical. And this was not only uh, it was it was going to be like at first he wanted a musical, but then um, that's what Steve Lemberg wanted, and yeah. then Crantz, uh, another guy, uh, came came around and was like, I don't know if that's a good idea, so. They decided to oh musical fantasy picture. There was a the, musical was the fantasy picture. The Spider Man. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Wow. A musical fantasy picture. <laughs> um. So I just love I love picture because it's such an old 
old timey, old fashioned Hollywood thing to say. Yeah, a musical fantasy picture. That sounds like Stan Lee, probably. You know, like oh, oh yeah, get, I know getting the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was actually going to be, uh, and then eventually they were like, okay, maybe not the musical. Let's go with more of a straightforward approach mm-hmm. about a college age Spider Man. Uh, who uh, will fight a one hundred and a one hundred foot tall robot? Oh wow! And Nazis, what? Um, and also Gwen Stacy would be in it and would die falling off the one hundred foot robot. Robot falling off the robot because that's yeah. yeah, that's the best way to transpose that scene. What? Right. This was in the seventies. This was still. This the, was in the seventies. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That. I mean, I would watch that movie. I'm not gonna, you know. <laughs> It apparently had an exorbitant budget and that's why like the film rights lapsed and reverted back to Marvel. Yeah. Um, But they had the rights for about five years, I think. And they were trying to get this movie off the ground, but no studios wanted it. That's crazy. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, And then we get to 1982 Mm -hmm. when Roger Corman, uh, who, who of course was the producer of the infamous 1994 Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Among that other was never greats. released and buried. <laughs> um, Roger Corman in 82, Orion Pictures bought mm. the rights to Spider-Man. Wow. And Corman, who was, uh, I believe at this time, was just sort of an, like an, I don't think he had his own studio yet. I right. think he was just a producer who could make movies cheap he knew yeah, how to I could get things he, done quick for you under a, on a low low budget and exactly and spit it out yeah exactly yeah. um and so uh yeah so then at this time of course stan lee was manning the marvel productions office in mm-hmm. hollywood trying to get all this stuff made mm-hmm. and this version the corman version was a version in which uh stan lee actually wrote the script whoa Yes. Whoa. Uh, so so he, out there somewhere, there is a Stanley uh, penned Spider-Man script for a 1980s movie. Like that's, I would presume so whoa. somewhere out there. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's never been digitized because 1982. I mean, he probably wrote it on a typewriter. No, of course. Yeah. So, so I mean, some, who somebody's it, basement a, or an archive or a vault. Some right. <laughs> probably Stanley's basement. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in this one, this is really interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, so in this one, Peter Parker, again, was a college student. Yeah. Dr. Octopus, his professor was going to be the bad guy. Mary Jane Watson was going to be the love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, very straightforward, except for the fact that it also included sexy KGB agents um, and Spider-Man stopping a nuclear war with Russia all by himself. So, you know, Rocky Four style. Sure. Yeah, of, co- of yeah. course. That's, uh, yeah, that's what you <laughs> use Sp- Sp- Spider-Man for. What? Yeah. What? Okay, wait. Okay. So we've got uh, sort of a James Bondy, like almost exploitation, like weird, like mm-hmm. sexy romp adventure melded in with Cold War intrigue spy. Like it, I... I can mm-hmm. see the appeal. I just don't. I I find it hard to believe that that could be written by somebody who was on board with like the the arc of the comics themselves. You know. Well, like, you have to you have to understand that. Um, I mean, Stan Lee was 
he Stanley is often given more credit than he deserves sure. for the creation of these characters. Uh-huh. Stanley would come to artists with a basic idea. Uh-huh. Teenager bit by a spider, get spider powers, Spider-Man. Yeah. He went to Jack Kirby first. That's and right. Jack Kirby, yeah. who was his guy, mm-hmm. drew up a Spider-Man that was like kind of like a like a he was like a little bulkier and he he like he didn't really look I mean he didn't look anything like the Spider-Man that we know and love. Sure. And Lee was like, mm, eh, I don't think so. So he went to Ditko. Yeah. And, and I'm sure Kirby was just like, well, whatever. It's not like I have time to draw it anyway. <laughs> yeah, Lee. for this quarter of an issue in your amazing fantasy uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um so he went anthology. to Ditko and then Ditko came up with all of that. And you know, wow. eventually, like it started off with Stanley. The Marvel method approach is that Stanley mm-hmm. would write like a paragraph summary of what's going to happen, mm-hmm. give it to Ditko. Ditko would draw it all, and then with notes to Stan Lee about what's happening in each panel. Yeah, and then Stan Lee would go back and he would fill in all the dialogue. Whoa. And yeah. that's how it went for a long time yeah. until eventually Stan Lee was dr- writing so many books that mm. he couldn't do the paragraph uh, uh, story outlines anymore. So then at that point, Ditko was just doing it all Whoa. except for the last dialogue pass. Right. Lee always did the final dialogue the final, pass. Yeah. Right. But that was everything else. The stories all came from Ditko, like from uh, like after the first like 10 or 12 issues or so. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, Lee, he, he wasn't a stickler for be you know, making things exactly the way they were. He was writing the Spider-Man that Ditko was drawing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I guess that is how you, you do run into some weird or more awkward, um, story elements, uh, throughout the early runs there. But for the most part, I, I think that would make things a little difficult in terms of like authorship, like saying Mm -hmm. like, well, who is. I've always heard the sort of phrasing uh, behind like, well, you know, such and such uh, writer artist combo. So-and-so says they're the creator of blank, but you know, that sort of that hanging, but uh, modifier at the end of those sentences. Oh, it must be, it's almost woven into the, the, the whole way the the business is run that there's no way you could uh, put a line in the sand and say like, Oh, totally. Like that was all Stan Lee or that was all whatever. And and it's like, it's almost built to, um, give more credit than is appropriate uh, mm-hmm. to to one other person. That being said, that though, it's not like um, it's not that somebody like Ditko stayed on the comic forever, or it's not like that everything that he right. did was uh, immediately taken in as like the best and truest version of the character. I can think of, I know a couple. I mean, yeah, I yeah. would I would actually argue like <clears throat> I love Ditko's run on on Spider Man, but yeah. I would argue. That the the comic didn't become sort of like the icon that it is mm-hmm. um, until John Romita Sr. took sure. over the book. Yeah, totally. Which would have been... Because that's when, that's when like Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane Watson showed up yeah. and, and Harry Osborn and all, all of that stuff was... It's like classic, yeah. Right, um, right. Mythos is, is sort of put into place there. Yeah. Right, right. It's wild. Um, but yeah. so that was... I guess that so, was yeah. So what happened with that was basically um, Stan Lee having never written a screenplay before. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't write toward a budget or any sort of practicality. <laughs> um, so at one point, Spider-Man is fighting uh, Doctor Octopus on top of the UN building. 
Wow. Um, okay. Which is not a thing that could happen no. in 1982. <laughs> like you can't like without like a crazy budget. And then uh, yeah. eventually, um, you know, Roger Corman was like, I can't make this. And Orion was like, we can't make this. This is, this is insane. Yeah. Like this is way too much. This would be the biggest silly, movie. silly yeah. superhero movie. <laughs> right. Right. So Orion let their rights expire. And then that one didn't happen. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. And I've got I've got a few more, but I think okay. I'll save them for tomorrow. That sounds great. Um, I can't wait to hear what else was uh, along <laughs> the journey before we actually got to a point where somebody's like, yeah, throw, you know, uh, a giant right. budget at this and make it happen. Um, right. Yeah, it's great. Um, so uh, I think that about wraps us up. We'll be back with minute number two tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, if you go to Facebook, you can find us on Facebook. And we also have a listener group there, mm -hmm. uh, Spider-Man Minute listener group. So go check that out. Uh, you know, we have like a little uh, – any listeners, like if they have questions or – additional thoughts to anything we discussed today yeah. um you know they can drop it there and plus we'll have like discussion on any kind of like spider-man related news or gossip or whatever so it'll be a nice um, little hub uh center of the web as it were to uh right. <laughs> disseminate information <laughs> from oh that's good yeah oh spider-man minute listener web hey that works yeah yeah, yeah. okay well so we We're... might have just named it that's all right um <laughs> so anyway uh so go check that out and uh, you can also go to the website, duelinggenre.com, mm -hmm. where you can leave comments to this post and uh, whatever you want to do there. Um, and of course, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Leaper182 mm -hmm. and Ed Foster. Uh, thanks, guys. And, yeah, absolutely. And uh -huh. we will be back tomorrow with Minute 2. Awesome. Bye.